welcome today to all of our Life Churches and our family at Open Network Churches all over. Church Online, we love you guys. You're a part of our family and we're honored to have you with us. If you're new with us, we're in a message series called Relational Vampires. What does a vampire do? A vampire sucks your blood. And we're talking about, as followers of Christ, how do we love the people that suck the life out of us? Today, I wanna to talk about a particular type of person that we love, God loves, but they can be really difficult to deal with, especially for those of us who are followers of Christ. I wanna talk about how we love and treat people who are hypocrites. I want a show of hands at all of our different churches. I wonder how many of you know a hypocrite? Raise your hand, raise them up, put them down. How many of you are sitting by the hypocrite? Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand right now at all. Just pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. The, the number one complaint from non-Christians about Christians, what do you think it is? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. This is a theme that we talked about a few months ago uh, in the message series, What Would Jesus Undo? I don't wanna repeat what we talked about there, but I do wanna build a foundation and then we're gonna hit it from another angle. Where does the word hypocrite come from? This is actually a word that was used even before the birth of Jesus in Greek theaters. And what the word hypocrites means, it means a stage actor, or it means one who wears a mask. It's a person who on the outside portrays one thing, but inwardly they're not living the life that they're portraying outwardly. Jesus had no tolerance for hypocrisy. In fact, if you read in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 23, again and again, he hammers on it seven times. He says, woe to the hypocrites, woe to the hypocrites, woe to the hypocrites. And then he says this about their outward lifestyle. He says in verse 28, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. How do you deal with the hypocrites in your life? You all have seen them. It may be your buddy at Life Group who comes in, acts all normal, eats the chips and dips, prays at the end of the time, and everyone there knows he's cheating on his wife and act like it's really no big deal at all. It could be the Christian kid at school. The kid comes to switch on Wednesday nights, lift ups, lifts his hands up to praise Jesus, and then parties on the weekend and cheats on the test during the week. It could be your boss who proclaims Christ with his or her lips. But then he treats his employees horribly and leaves the business with no integrity at all, and everybody seems to know it. What is your role in a situation like that do we have a role or should we just stand back and be prayerful? How do we respond? What do we do? How do we love those who proclaim one thing, but inwardly they're living something way, way different? What I wanna do is build a foundation and then we're gonna talk about how we love them. The first question I wanna to try to answer is this. Why are they acting like that? If they're portraying one thing and they're living something else, we wanna to try to discern why, because why they are helps determine what we do. Let me say it again. Why they are acting that way helps determine what we do as followers of Christ. Why are they acting like this? It could be one of several reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one, maybe they don't really know God. 
Maybe instead of being a hypocrite, they've just never been spiritually born anew. In fact, 1 John 2, 4 says this, whoever says, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. In other words, just because they go to church, just because they claim to be a Christian, just because they think that they are, doesn't mean that spiritually they've ever been made new. Maybe they just really genuinely haven't been transformed by the grace of Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus who said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. Only those who do the will of God, just because they claim Christ, doesn't mean they've been transformed by him. This person is not a hypocrite, this person is someone who needs the grace of Jesus. The reason they behave that way determines how we respond. Maybe they simply don't know God. Second thing is maybe they don't know any better yet. Why are they behaving this way? Maybe they're new in their faith and they haven't been taught how they're supposed to live. In fact, Paul was dealing with this problem uh, at the church in Corinth amongst many other complicated problems. But he said in 1 Corinthians 3.1, he said to a group, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. You're not living by the Spirit, you're still worldly. And then he said, you're mere infants in Christ. In other words, yes, you've been forgiven, You've been changed by Jesus, but you really haven't grown and you haven't spiritually matured yet. You're kind of like a baby in Christ. This is a person that doesn't need correcting. This is a person that needs instructing. Why they act this way determines what we do. Maybe they just don't know any better yet. For example, this was absolutely and completely me when I was a brand new follower of Christ. I was midway through college. I became a Jesus follower. My life was transformed in one moment, in one prayer. And my best friend who was like crazy party guy happened to be in California. When I was in Oklahoma, I came to Christ the very same week he came to faith in Christ. He came back. We had been partying together the week before. And so we had to tell each other like, oh, I got something to tell you. And we didn't even have the language for it. Like, I think I'm religious now. He's like, I think I am too. And so we didn't even know what we were doing. Honest to goodness, we said, let's go get drunk to celebrate. <laughs> That's what we did. We didn't, we just, I mean, we're now Christians. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna celebrate and go get wasted. And, and we would pray and our prayers, honest to goodness, we're like, Okay, Lord, like, like, you know, God protect us as we're partying, God. Help us not get a DUI. And God, we ask that Mitch's girlfriend's not pregnant, God. Help her not be pregnant. Okay, we didn't know. We, we were not hypocrites. We were babes in Christ. We didn't need correcting. We needed instructing. Understanding why someone's behaving the way they are helps us determine what we actually do. Why are they acting this way? Maybe they've never been truly born into God's family. Maybe they just don't know any better yet. Or the people we're really gonna focus on in this message would be, maybe they do know better, but they still disobey God. This is the hypocrite. Maybe they really do know better, and yet they dishonor God with the way that they live. Peter addressed it this way in 1 Peter 2. He said, for you're free, you've been, you've been forgiven by Jesus, yet you're still God's slaves. You're still his servants. And then he said, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. 
Don't use the grace of God as some kind of covering for you to live any way that you want. And this is what will happen sometimes when sleep, people slip into a spirit of hypocrisy. They might start by saying, well, you know, nobody's business anyway. God's gonna forgive me as it is. God's grace covers it. And then over time, they start to rationalize it or start to justify it. God's gonna forgive me. Well, it's not that big a deal. Well, who are you to judge me anyway? I was talking to a Christian guy who was defending his addiction to porn, saying, I'm not hurting anybody. It's nobody else's business. And if my wife was meeting my needs, then I wouldn't have to do this anyway. What had happened? It started out with justification, rationalization, pure blown hypocrisy. God's gonna forgive me anyway. Who, whose business is it? It might be the person who says, you know this, I just, I just love nice things. They're not generous. There's no sense of responsibility of the way that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. I, I just love nice things. Totally blind that there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but we need to be agents of blessings to other people as God blesses us. It could be the person that says, I don't have a problem with whatever, anger, criticism, you know, and you're not perfect anyway. Who are you to judge me? God's gonna forgive me as it is. And this is the person that did at one time know better, but is now justifying it and using God's grace as an excuse to sin. Peter says, don't do it. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what is wrong. What do we do in the category of these third types of people? those who genuinely have been changed by Jesus and yet continue to willfully disobey God. Is it none of our business? Judge not lest you be judged. Is it our business? Should we be non-confrontational and just pray like crazy? Should we be all up in their business, telling them what they should be doing and not? Where do we fall in this whole scheme of things? Uh, it's very important that we get this right. Because if we get this wrong, not only can we push people further away from the things of God, but we can be a very bad witness to anybody else who's looking on. And if we're not careful, we can actually hurt not only them, not only those watching, but we can hurt ourselves. That's why we have to be really prayerful. And I wanna give you just a few thoughts about how we prayerfully confront. Three thoughts straight from scripture. The first thing is we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray. Number one, we're gonna pray, God, help me confront with a heart to restore. The heart matters. Your approach matters. Help me confront with a heart to restore. Paul told the Galatians this in Galatians 6, 1. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. What does it mean to restore? It means to bring back or to make whole again. Your heart is to restore, to bring back to God's original purpose and to do it gently, to do it humbly. Another version translates that same verse this way. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, I love this imagery, you should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. What's happened? They've wandered away and you're gonna help guide them back. Here's the metaphor. You are not the judge, you are the guide. 
You're not the judge declaring what's right and wrong. You are the guide helping gently lead them back to a better way, to the way of life, to the way of freedom, to the way of truth. In other words, your goal, your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God. It's not a, look at me, you're wrong. I'm not the judge, I'm the guide helping you come back to life as you might one day help me. We restore gently. I'll explain this in a story I've told before, but it was really, it really was meaningful to me. Uh, in the early years of preaching, I was often um, creative in my humor in ways that might have crossed a spiritual line. People said I was way too crude. You may say, Pastor Craig, you're still kind of crude. You have no idea how far I've come. You should celebrate the progress in Jesus' name right now. <laughs> and, and I come a long way. And, and what would happen is I was like 28, 29 years old, and all these people would kind of come down on me really hard. And with like a critical, like I'm, I'm older, you're young and stupid, and you need to repent and all this kind of stuff. And I couldn't hear it because it felt to me like their heart was, they're right, I'm wrong, not a heart to restore. One day, this guy came in and he really had a heart to restore. And he said, Pastor Craig, I just want you to know I honor God's work in your life. I know that you truly wanna please God. I know that if you were doing something that was dishonoring or hurtful, you wouldn't wanna do it. I know a lot of people told you you're unnecessarily crude. I just want you to know I'm gonna stand with you. You're my pastor. But if a lot of people have told you something, it might be wise just to ask God. And I believe if you ask God, He'll show you if there's something you need to know. And if not, you'll just keep on what you're doing. Either way, I stand with you, but you might just wanna ask God. Well, guess what? That got to me. That was a heart to restore. So I asked God, am I being too crude? And I didn't hear anything back. So the next Saturday, I was about to preach. My daughter, Katie, um, was promoted from kids' church to big church for the first time. And I was about to say a pretty funny thing that might have been close to the line or maybe about one or two or 12 steps over the line. <laughs> and right as I was about to say it, I looked over and thought, I wouldn't want her to not just hear that, but I wouldn't want her to say it. And God showed me. I had been too crude. I couldn't hear it from the people that had a heart that they were right and I was wrong. I heard it from a person who gently and humbly with a heart to restore, presented it in a way that opened me up to hear from God. Think about Jesus. How did he love people? With grace and truth. A woman's caught in adultery and everybody says to stone her. Imagine if all he says is grace. Oh, don't worry about it. Just don't get caught. That's not gonna work. What if instead he's just all truth? Yeah, all these guys that want to tell you, they're right. You need to publicly repent of your sins, you filthy woman right now. No, 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 no. What did he do? He knelt down and wrote something in the sand. We don't know what it was, but some scholars think it might've been the sins of the guys there because all the other people wanting to stone her one by one walked away. And then he knelt down and in grace said, woman, where, where are the people that are accusing you? And she said, they're all gone. And in grace, he said, neither do I condemn you. And then in truth, he said, now go your way and be free. Don't do it anymore. There's a better way. Go your way and sin no more. Grace and truth, that's the heart to restore. God, help me to confront with a, with a heart to restore. This is so important to get this right. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Number one, help me confront with a heart to restore. Number two, God, help me to confront carefully. 
Help me to confront carefully. Read on in our key verse from Galatians 6. Let's look at the first part again and then read on. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. What do you wanna do? You wanna be very, very careful because the moment we put ourselves in the posture of the one who's correcting, we're more vulnerable to pride. And what do we know about pride? Pride always comes before a fall. In fact, perhaps that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, so if you think you're standing firm, if you're really confident in yourself, be careful that you don't fall. When you confront, do it carefully, because the moment we think we're better, we're open to the lies of the enemy, who says, you would never do that. That's so ungodly. You're, you're so much better than that. And that's when you're vulnerable to do the very same thing that you're calling someone else out on. In fact, we saw it happen, never been more clear than Amy and I when we were dating, and she was a leader um, in the youth ministry at her church. I was a leader at my church because we hadn't yet married and, and uh, joined churches together. And there were two other youth leaders that were dating in her church that believed that God told them that we were being physically intimate with each other. God told them that. I am here to tell you and declare before you, God, and anyone else that will listen. We were not being physically intimate with each other. And the reason that I know is because every day I was aware <laughs> that we were waiting until we got married and we moved the date up three different times. I promise you, promise you, swear to God, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. We were not, and God revealed to them that we were, and they were really kind of harsh, really judgmental about it. And we just said, no, 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 no. And literally about six or eight weeks later, they had to step down because they were doing the very thing that they were accusing us of, and it came back on. What, what happened? Out of a spirit of pride, perhaps they became a little bit vulnerable. And that's why we have to be very, very careful when we confront someone. So how do we do this? How do, how do, we, how do we confront carefully and with a heart to restore? Let me give you a really, really quick lesson. Uh, you can read about this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18. I'm gonna give you kind of the short summary. This is essentially what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, notice what he says is, if it's someone else who is in Christ. In other words, we're not gonna confront non-Christians who aren't behaving like Christians because they're not Christians, therefore they shouldn't behave like Christians. And when they come into our churches and don't act and behave like us, we're not gonna judge them, we're gonna love them where they are, we're gonna give them a safe place to belong even before they believe because our goal is not to change their behavior, but to introduce them to the one who will. If you wanna clap for that at any time you can, that's not our role to be the Holy Spirit, but to let the Spirit draw them to Christ. So it's another believer. If your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them directly. In the Greek, what that means is you don't try to solve the problem on Twitter. 
what it means. It means you don't try to bang out the solution in the comments of Facebook, okay? You gotta hear me on this. This is one of the most embarrassing things when we're calling somebody out on Twitter. You know what that's like? That's like walking into the mall and just declaring to everybody, Sister Joni's in sin. Sister Joni needs to repent right now. Joni, I don't know if you hear me or not, but you need to repent right now. You need to come forward right now to everybody you've been doing the you know what, Joni. That's exactly what it's like. It is, it is the stupidest, most embarrassing. You go to the person, you go to the person. And then you tell them, this is how you hurt me. This is where, this is where you've gone astray. And if they listen, Jesus says, you've won them over. You've made progress, praise God. They've been brought back to the right path. If they don't listen, what Jesus says, you bring in support. You bring in one or two other people to help them see that this really is an issue. And then you lovingly help point them toward truth. If they still don't listen now, you've gone one-on-one, -on -one, you've brought a couple of people that are lovingly praying them that way, then you kind of elevate it to some form of leadership in the church. It might be that you go before the life group. It might be that you take them to the person who is overseeing life kids. It might be to the campus pastor or whatever, but you bring in a little more official leadership. And then Jesus essentially says, if you've done that one-on-one -on -one, and then a couple of people, and then he brought it before some level of leadership, then if they still don't listen, essentially he says, you redefine the relationship. What he says is you treat them as tax collectors or pagans. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but in my life, when there was a guy who continued to claim Christ, but continued to cheat on his wife, and we did one-on-one -on -one and then group and then brought it before the church, at some point we say, you know what? I love you, but you can't come to life group and act like everything's okay. We're not going and playing ball together when you're acting like this. We're not gonna just go to lunch like everything's fine. At any moment that you wanna say, yes, this is wrong and do what's right. The door is wide open and you're welcome back. But because we've done this, 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 and this, and this, you cannot continue to behave that way and have intimate fellowship. There is a line that you cannot cross. That sounds harsh, that is not harsh. That is loving and that is how you confront with the heart to restore. It's not get out, not you're not good enough. It's not, hey, everybody, Joni, no. It's step by step by step. It's carefully with a heart to bring restoration. What do we do? We have to get this right. God, help us confront with a heart to restore. God, help us confront carefully. And number three prayer is this. God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Thought you were getting off easy today, right? We're talking about them, right? God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Uh, Jesus calls the hypocrites blind fools. They're blind to it. In other words, hypocrisy is really difficult to see in the mirror. It's so easy to point out in someone else, but it's so difficult to see in our own lives. In fact, uh, years ago, I spoke at a, um, a fundraiser for another church. They were trying to expand their building. And before the fundraiser event, they had a pre-event at one of the leader's houses. And we went to the house. I'm telling you, it was a gorgeous house. Tasteful, beautiful. When you walked up, like this is, this is a gorgeous, it's an incredibly well done place. We walked in and it was the most stunning entryway where big kind of area, glass that went on three sides of this courtyard, the most 
gorgeous courtyard with this elaborate fountain and a pool, and the house kind of circled this courtyard. So from different sides, you can look through the glass and see this just beautiful place. And so we're sitting there having a wonderful time, very blessed family. And midway through the pastor's presentation, the lady who had her back to the window overlooking the fountain said, I just wanna ask one thing before we give to this. I just wanna make absolutely certain that in this new church, you're not gonna waste money on stuff like fountains and fancy stuff. And when she said it, all of us there, we just kind of stopped and we held our breath and we waited for the punchline to come so we could all laugh because obviously she was telling a joke. She wasn't joking. She went on about how we should never waste God's money on extravagant things at the church. The church should be humble and simple place to worship God when right over her shoulders in her own courtyard was the most gorgeous fountain that you've ever seen in your entire life. And that's why Jesus says blind fools. That's why it's sometimes so difficult. You can clap for that blind fool, but the problem is you're a blind fool sometimes too. And so am I. It's that, it's that we don't see it. It's the fact that I can preach on one thing and go home and do the very opposite and not even know that I'm doing it. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that in my own life, wherever I'm most condemning of others, that's often a reflection of where I'm most vulnerable. Let me say that again. Where, wherever I'm most condemning and judgmental of other people, that's where I'm most vulnerable. Well, if I had money like them, I wouldn't spend it like they're spending. They don't know, you know what? They may not have a problem with money. You may have a problem with money. It may be your heart that's wrong. Wherever we're most judgmental and critical about someone else is often a reflection of where we are vulnerable. David learned this in the Old Testament. If you don't know his story, he was a great man, a man after God's own heart, who made a very big mistake and compounded the sin with another sin. He was one day, should have been at war, he wasn't at war, he's up on the rooftop, he's looking out and he sees a beautiful woman, he goes, mm-hmm, I like that, go get her for me. And he went and called another man's wife to himself, committed adultery with her, then to cover up his sin, he essentially had her husband murdered, Uriah, he sent him out to the front lines and said, just kind of put him out there and so he was killed. And then he was totally blind to his own hypocrisy. One day, Nathan comes along, the prophet, and Nathan confronts him with a heart to restore. David, let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there was a rich man who had all sorts of livestock, sheep and cattle. There was a very poor man who only had one little lamb. This lamb grew up with him. Uh, his kids loved the lamb. It was kind of like a pet. One day, a guy came along that was hungry, and the rich guy didn't take one of the animals from his own livestock, but he took this poor man's only lamb, killed the lamb to feed it to the hungry guy. And Dave was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And this is what David did. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David in Hebrew, Ish, which in English means, you're the man. You're the hypocrite. 
This thing that you're furious about is the thing that you did, David, and you're too blind to even see your own hypocrisy. Wherever we're most condemning of someone else is often a sign of where we're most vulnerable in our own lives. That's when I wanna be so careful when I'm the speck inspector. <laughs> speck in your eye, there's speck in your eye, there's speck in your, there's a log in my eye. Jesus said, why would you point that out when you got problems of your own? What do we know about ourselves? One of the metaphors about who we are as people is not flattering, but we're sheep. Sheep are stupid. <laughs> sheep wander. Sheep are like, shiny thing. <laughs> what happens a lot of time? The enemy whispers, hey, little sheep, look over here and people wander. Listen to me, just because a sheep wanders doesn't mean a sheep's a wolf. Just means it's a sheep that's wandered. Not a wolf, we're not the judge, we're the guide. Come here little sheep, let's come back to the good shepherd who takes us to the good pasture. So when our brother is committing adultery and continues to do it, we don't write him off as a wolf that we never want to see again. We recognize it's a sheep that's being taken from the flock. And so we want to do everything we can to help restore that little sheep to fellowship. And this is exactly the way James, the kid brother of Jesus said it. He said this in James 5, he said, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the errors of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. And this is why we must get it right. We confront with the heart to restore because when Satan tries to take one away from the flock, you could be the one that lovingly helps guide them back to truth and save them from spiritual pain and let the grace of Jesus cover a multitude of sins. Because guess what, one day, one day blind fools, we may be the one that takes a step off the path and I want one of you there to love me enough back into the way of life. And that's how you love people who show one thing but live something else. You lead them back to the way of life, the way of Jesus. All of our churches, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us get this right. We know that getting this wrong has caused so much pain. God, may we get this right. Father, I know that even right now, there are those who in their life group, the people they serve with, people they work with, and their family, there's, there's these situations going on. God, give us wisdom from heaven to honor you and the way we love people back into the fold. All of our churches, if you have someone right now, if you know you will, because you will, and you say, God, I wanna be a voice of restoration. Spirit, lead me to do this right. Lift up your hands right now, all of our churches. I hope everyone who's a believer says yes. God, I pray, especially for those who have this situation going on right now, a loved one, a brother, a sister, a friend, uh, someone that's, that's making wrong decisions. God, give us the heart of a guide, not the, the attitude of a judge. Lord, help us to love 
a sheep that's wandering and not to see them as a wolf that's out to harm. God, I pray that in the same way that you lead and love us with grace and truth, that you would empower us to love your people with grace and with truth, handling this with integrity, being led by your spirit. God, give us favor, give us wisdom, give us the words to say. And God, if someone lovingly comes to help bring us back, give us eyes to see our own sinfulness and a heart to repent, God, and live according to your truth. As you keep praying today at all of our churches, there are some of you, you're gonna recognize right now that you're wandering away, you're on your own. Guess what? <laughs> How's it working for you? When you live your way, the scripture says this, all of us are like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Who is Jesus? One of the metaphors of Jesus is this, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who came to give life to his sheep. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Greater love has no one, scripture says, that he would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is the good shepherd, our spiritual enemy, his name is Satan. He's called the thief that comes to steal, to kill and destroy. What does he wanna do? He wants to isolate you. He wants to take you away from the things of God, from the people of God. The amazing thing is, Jesus said this, he said a good shepherd will leave the 90 and nine to go after the one, the one, the one. Guess what? You may be here today and you are the one out of the family of God and Jesus is coming for you as if you are the only one. Jesus would leave the flock to come after the one. And all of our churches, those who say, yes, I'm apart from God. Yes, I need his forgiveness. I don't, know, I don't know how to be in his family. You can't work your way there. You can't earn his favor. It's only by the grace of God, not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. He is the lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of the sins. And he is also the good shepherd who is coming after you. He will pick you up. He will carry you home because he loves you as you are. All of our churches, those who say, I need his grace. I need his mercy. I turn from my sins. I turn toward him. When you call on him. He'll hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sins. He'll make you brand new. All of our churches, those who say, yes, I need his grace. Yes, I give my life to him. Lift your hands high right now. All of our churches, lift them up and say, yes, Jesus, I surrender to you. Those of you at Church Online, you click right below me. And as we've got people at all of our different churches coming to faith in Christ, would you join your hearts and pray with those around you? Nobody prays alone. Pray, Heavenly Father, I give you my life trusting Jesus to save me, to be my Lord, and to forgive my sins. My life is not my own. Fill me with your spirit so I can live for you every day of my life. Lead me in your ways so I can show your love. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody celebrate big right now. Welcome those born into God's family. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We're so honored that we get to play a part of all that God is doing in and through your life. And to help you on your spiritual journey, we have a website called life.church/next that has some great resources for you to grow in your relationship with Christ. Be sure to check out the Life Church app. This is a great way for you to stay connected to the church all throughout the week. You can find that wherever you download your apps. Guys, we do all of this because we know and truly believe that whoever finds God, finds life.